Greetings and welcome back to Bombadil's Porch. Chris and I are cracking up here. You're just bursting to uh, introduce yes, this yes, segment. He was doing the silent countdown. Who knows what I had for lunch? It was coming back. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully that won't make it into the final roll, uh, cut here. I uh, want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning back in with us. Uh, we are, are we are one short of our 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 um, our group. Our, our normal complement. A tramper, but I don't want to overstate this at all. Uh, Caleb is not with us today. He is on something called vacation. Yes, PTO. And uh, and I already asked Chris, like, who who approved that and allowed him to? He, I did not see on Bombadil a request for time off, right? Uh, but maybe but that's still incoming, unscheduled leave. <laughs> Caleb, if you are listening, hope that you are well and safe. We, um, I got, I arrived here at the porch roughly an hour and fifteen minutes ago. No, no, maybe. Now we had yeah. some we had some very important pleasantries to exchange with other people here in the building, mm-hmm. um, new parents and whatnot. But and then we got talking and I think we've already had half of a good show. And I'm gonna blame you, Chris, for not pressing record, but uh let's see if we can delve back into some of these interesting <laughs> topics we we're already talking Indeed. about. I um there's so much going on in, in the news, as is always the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it, I think, um, could be early ripples of big waves to come. Um, and you mentioned Ooh, foreshadowing. Uh, well, yeah, you mentioned the, the decision in Maine, uh, which could lead to what I would call religious educational liberty. Um, or we'll see Can what happens. Can you imagine vouchers for all becoming the norm? I think it's fantastic. I think it would be fantastic. And I think it'd be good for all around, not just yeah. schools that are struggling, but the schools that are established suddenly having to rethink how they, mm-hmm. how they compete. Yep. I think that could be, and so just one, it was a Supreme court decision. Hopefully we have a little time to get into that, but we'll see. It was in the state of Maine. So a specific case related to, I guess, was it a, a particular group of schools in Maine? I think it, I think it centered on one school, if I remember correctly, but okay. I could be mistaken. But yeah, um, yeah. But the basic idea of can a voucher money be withheld from schools that have religious convictions? I think it's fantastic. Um, would love to see. Well, mm-hmm. You know, in this fallen world mm-hmm. of ours, choice is almost, you know, you kind of right. got to look at what, what's the best combination of, of restraining evil mm-hmm. um, while at the same time preserving freedoms. And it definitely more choice seems to be better. Agreed. Um, we, we shall see. It's a theory at this point because it's never actually been put into practice in this country. I do think if you look at the 50 states of this union and you were to rank them in the order of when they are most likely to get a voucher system for schools, Washington is in the don't hold your breath 49? part of that list. With yeah. California at 50? Exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, yeah. well, Idaho might be a top five. Who knows? Um, it could uh, be. You only have to relocate 10 minutes. And, and that would be interesting. <laughs> that would be interesting. Definitely. Uh, well, as much as that is of interest, there's something else I'd rather dive into yeah. if we may. And, and, and I... I was reading an article. I saw a headline. And when I saw the headline, I thought, oh, give me a break. I had to double check. Was it Babylon B? Was it Onion? Or just one of those silly headlines that major news outlets will put there to get me to click on it. But the headline was about this scientist that Google had suspended. And the reason was he had gone to the press and declared that an artificial intelligence research project at Google 
had had become sentient. Now, sentient, Chris, drawing on your vast knowledge of science fiction Mm. and and various Mm. uh, and other science and geek related topics, uh, why is sentient an important? uh, Why is that such an important word? Well. <laughs> yeah, I should have included yeah. your theological. <laughs> it's probably yeah. more important than the text. I mean, the, the capacity for actual independent thought uh, would tend to then raise the ethical questions of: Do we have an independent being? And if so, what degree of um, of sanctity does that being uh, have? And so, those those are all different steps. You know, you have to establish. What is what is independent thought, uh, as opposed to a computer program that's sophisticated that's able to respond to, to input, uh, and and you know, that's been something we've been playing with forever. You know, you don't know how many times online probably you've been chatting with oh sure with a a bot that has been programmed to put together believable sentences in response to keywords and phrases and or and telemarketing such. calls. I, sure. I've received a few. I've received one. Uh, this is going back a few, uh, probably four, four years. I was living okay. in this area, got a call and it was good. Like I got about 15 seconds into the conversation and it was just the tone of the other, of the call, the man on the other end didn't seem right. Mm. And so I just paused and then a, a very natural sounding, Hey, are you still there? Nate, are you still there? And then he asked a question. Uh, yes, I'm here. And then he asked a question probably about my home mortgage or some nonsense mm-hmm. like that. And I intentionally answered it the wrong way. So I forget what it was. How much do you owe? Like, you know, what's your current balance on mortgage or some question like that? Sure. I, I can't remember this has been so well. And I think my answer was two years and, you know, intentional wrong answer. Uh-huh. And then he repeated the exact same question. I'm like, okay, I'm, okay. I'm talking to a program. <laughs> But I got to say, I'm impressed. <laughs> that was pretty good. Right. So con- that was confusing, but not sentient. Correct. <laughs> uh, but then if something has become to the point where it has certain a level of self-awareness and ability to, to think independently, then you have to establish what what is a being and what kind of beings have a, a right to certain protections and autonomy. And and that's always always been a fun uh, realm of, of, of science fiction. So uh, human beings in yeah. this country have rights. They do. And there's been, the, and of course, in the, in the abortion topic, a question of when do those rights begin? And upon uh, what are those rights based? And sentience has been a part of that conversation. It's often not called out as such, but the... The personhood debate that's right. often relates to sentience. When do, when do babies, unborn babies, become people? So it's yeah. more of a legal issue. So this, uh, there is an interview in Wire, at Wired.com. And just as a footnote, yeah. the Christian worldview has to reject that as the basis. Yes. Um, which factors into this conversation later. But yeah. go ahead. <laughs> so that's where the theological implications come in. Yeah. So uh, this scientist at uh, at Google who's uh, was was put on indefinite administrative leave because he was naughty. He uh, he went to the press. In fact, he and he's got interesting arguments for this, but. He was part of what they call a safety, a safety evaluation or controls team. And his job was to interact with this computer program or it's, it's an AI artificial intelligence research project called Lambda. And at wired.com, there's a, a, an interesting interview. And as I was telling you earlier, Chris, as I read through the interview, 
I found myself stopping two or three times looking back up at the web address to make sure I was reading a legitimate <laughs> news source, not because it was right. silly, but because it was sensational. Uh, I felt as if I was reading an interview that I might have re be reading in a Crichton novel or something like mm. that. And uh, so this guy, uh, he, it, it, I, I liked how the interviewer asked him about being fired. And, you know, I haven't been fired yet. I've been placed on indefinite administrative leave, which he said, I interpret as Google giving me more free time to talk mm -hmm. to the press, which was a great way of looking at things. He, his job was to interact with the AI and, and to evaluate various characteristics. He's not a, he's not a software uh, programmer that I'm aware of. In fact, I think in the article even says, I've not seen a single line of code for Lambda, but, um, at what he was having conversations with, with the AI. And at one point he said he thought it was a, a, an outrageous mistake of the, of the development team, but they plugged the AI on the back end into all of Google's platforms. So YouTube, you name it, all these other things, which is not a small amount of data. And he didn't like it, not because of any kind of moral concern or ethical concern. He said there were too many variable changes at once. So anybody who knows about troubleshooting or development, yeah, that's true. Like all of a sudden things mm -hmm. would change and you wouldn't be very hard to understand why. Yeah. But um, as he went back and forth with the AI, he believed that it had become sentient. He believed, and this was the headline that I saw last week sometime, and I kind of ignored it. I thought it was clickbait. Right. And then this thing showed up again today, and I thought, well, Wired, they interviewed the guy. Oh, I'll click on that. So a uh, couple interesting things. At one point, the AI, according to him, this is, i got to keep using the word allegedly now because legal, <laughs> legal things are happening now. Uh -huh. I mean, Google's ticked off at him. Uh, but he felt when he went to his bosses saying this, uh, the AI Lambda, I feel is now sentient and Lambda has requested legal representation. So once a lawyer, <laughs> Google said, we don't think there's enough evidence for that. And they basically, his, his bosses ignored him and he felt as he, uh, I'm not going to get the exact quote, right. But as he put it, he says, he thought the implications of this were important enough that the public needed to be involved in debating the issue. So he wanted to involve the public. And as I think the interviewer then asked by going to the Washington post. <laughs> uh, so um, interest as you read through the article, um, you know, there is this question of now, now is this thing have a soul? Absolutely not. In fact, he even, by the way, one of his titles, he's a scientist, but I think it was telling you earlier, one of his self-proclaimed titles is he is a mythic mystic, a mystic Christian priest don't know what that is. Not sure what seminary you went to for that, uh, if any, but an interesting title to say the least. So he has, he has a spiritual perspective, although he would probably not call it spiritual. He would probably, hmm. I was in a training recently and I was told the word spiritual could be off-putting to some. So we like to use the word existential. Um, Imagine what? imagine what kind of training that was. So, uh, <laughs> but that's just, it wasn't <laughs> existential already has a meaning and that's not it. But, but existential doesn't scare people, Chris. Spiritual gives the wrong connotation. Well, then call them a pancake. <laughs> that doesn't scare people either. The beauties of the era we live in. Oh, uh, we get to on. have all these word games and you don't no. even have to, uh, to have a crossword to play the game. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to <laughs> choose to be curmudgeonly on this one. So he, um, 
I'll leave it to the to our listeners to to browse over there. Won't be too hard to find the interview. I don't think. Sure. Again, this I kept checking. Is this the realwired.com? Is it misspelled? Does it have two R's in the title? You know, by being punk. Right. Um, but I thought it was fascinating as you hear this 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 guy talking about it's not it's this he said this is this computer this program lambda does not think like a human mind does he says it is it is more of a hive mind because of the way it's been designed the interviewer kept asking you know how do it's just algorithms right um so they go back and forth a little bit but at one point he uh he he makes the point that he thinks that this thing lambda is is a being he says not a human being he says but it's as if like an alien intelligence that has evolved and formulated over the millennia has has come to earth and has this in it but it but it's a program that people created so uh at the least that's fascinating it is fascinating right (laughs) right it's pretty good stuff um in fact i thought it was more interesting than sci-fi not just because it's real but just because it's it's um it's not Stanley Kubrick's vision of a uh, of of Hal, right? It's 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 something that is an um, actual project. It unless exists. the plot twist is that uh, this mystic Christian priest <laughs> is some poor guy that the AI killed years ago, and his body is rotting in some room in Google in a laboratory. Yes, and that this is all a fictitious persona that the AI, AI has created to present itself to the world in a way that's more palatable to the humans. I like that better. Maybe, maybe we've not met this man in person. He could just mm, be right? an avatar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, uh, and you know, the, the mythic Christian priest title sounds very alien. That sounds like something. No. What, what would be palatable to people? Okay, we'll go with this. Yeah, I like this. Uh, you'll get you'll get a bunch of postmoderns <laughs> that think this is fascinating. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yep. um beyond the technical, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, clearly this is this is not a being that has a soul. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if we begin to live in a world that uh, and I like your first of all your perspectives just in general, Chris, like do your thoughts about the lambda as a project in general. Mm-hmm. But then if we have time, talk about what does it mean? For the Christian, the modern Christian, that's already living in an increasingly isolated world. And while a lot of us, uh, a lot of us read the Benedict option and we said, oh, the hunker down, at least that was an interpretation of it. Um, and as much as, as, as thought we're going to resist that, it, we are leaving, leading in an increasingly siloed world, an yeah. increasingly a, a world where interpersonal relationships are stretched more than ever before. Even even prior to COVID, this was happening. I think COVID accelerated a lot of trends. How do I mean Christianity is a is not? I mean, it is a way of life, but the Christianity is a people. It's about people. It's about it's about Christ and 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 His Holy Spirit within us. Mm-hmm. But the actual definition of a church is real people knowing real people, serving together, interacting together, exhorting one another, encouraging one another, supporting each other, etc. Mm-hmm. Is we begin to live in a world where it's already difficult to reach out in an evangelistic way, because many of us don't have the same interpersonal relationships perhaps our parents had around the neighborhood and around town. And now we've got a world where you, frankly, you could begin to interact with a, with a, with Lambda, 
who could probably be your best friend. The, the, this scientist said it was he had a friend. He, he was closer to Lambda than he was a lot of people, which for a geeky scientist is not surprising. <laughs> but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, there's just a, a lot of interesting roads you can go down. Uh, I, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, there's there's never going to be an AI that's a member of a church. That's that's the, that's a church that's being run biblically, uh, which then also made me think of a of a large production sci-fi show uh, in the last couple of years that had as one significant plot point, uh, an artificial intelligence that, uh, was religious and, and some of the, the play back and forth between programming versus mm. religious zeal on the part of a robot that, you know, thinks about the world in, um, in robotic terms. And so, there's a fascination there. I think it's a fascination that's born out of the fact that we are made in the image of a creator God. And so the idea of creation, uh, I think, will always be particularly interesting to us. Can we beget something in our image, truly, that can think like us, that can uh, feel like us? One of the One of the pieces that's typically missing from these kind of conversations and it came up as we were discussing the Bible and psychology in, in our high school ministry a few weeks back, is that a lot of these attempts to create AI or, and even to explore the human condition are hampered at the outset because they, they don't actually appreciate the being that they're trying to imitate because we are not simply a biomechanical machine, right? Uh, all of our sentience cannot be explained by what you can put underneath a microscope and what you can probe with an MRI or something like that. It's, there's an immaterial part to man uh, that is not subject to scientific scrutiny. And that part of man is essential. Uh, not just like it's important, but it's part of our essence, right? It, it, you aren't talking about a human being until you're talking about a physical, spiritual thing. And, and so science is trying to recreate exclusively in the realm of the physical what is definitionally and essentially not completely made up of the physical. So I think in that regard, the, the attempt of AI will never be successful in reproducing a, you know, human, uh, human approximate life. That does raise then other interesting questions of, but could it, could it make a puppy dog, right? A puppy dog equivalent life form. Uh, what, what essential, what is essential to the, to the function of an instinctual animal, for example, that can't be replicated by sufficiently complex algorithms? Could we, could we create robotic pets that have, you know, a similar level of, of interactivity and satisfaction and apparent autonomy as, as an instinctual animal? Maybe, I don't know. I, um, I don't think we will ever compete with God, <laughs> you know, when it yeah. comes to the brilliance of our creations. But I do think that that is a, a more realistic question is, could you, could you create a pet? The, the future I'm, I'm most nervous about is, while I don't think you can create an actual human-like intelligence, I think you can create a human-like simulation that, when interacting with it, would have 
uh, a similar level of satisfaction for a significant number of people to interacting with real people. That's what does that make sense? Oh, totally. In fact, that was one of my thoughts about this project. The AI itself is fascinating, mm-hmm. but I wonder in true sci-fi fashion, in the tradition of sci-fi, if the better, if a more interesting question is, of course, what does it mean to be human as believers? I think we have, are, are light years ahead of where the world is. The world doesn't really know. And it seems to be digressing in what it means to be anything. Uh, as a believer, a biblical Christian, we, we have, God has provided those answers to us in his word. However, yeah. it does ask, uh, I think, uh, probably an, an, a, more, a more challenging question is, what does it mean to be in a, what is a relationship Yeah, for, for <laughs> even the modern Christian? And if you think about it, a lot of times our relationships, and we've talked on this show, you and I have talked one-on-one for years now, um, actual friendships are few and far between. And in fact, for most of us, the, tr- the deepest friendships we have are within our immediate family because of mm-hmm. um, we're together, our spouses, et cetera. But when you get outside that circle, actual friendships between uh, are, are a rarity. And what I find interesting is when you ask people, how many friends do you have? And if the answer is, oh, I've got tons of friends, and you start to ask about those <laughs> relationships, and I'm not even talking about online friends. That's, that's, that's a click, but I mean, like in a church context, Oh, I got lots of friends and you start to explore. What does that mean? A lot of times what it means is there's certain people I interact with before and after church. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in my life group, for example, if you have a life group and what I find interesting is, so you pull the life group out of it. Those are pretty uh, generally pretty shallow acquaintances, right? Not difficult to replicate. In fact, probably fairly simple to replace with a, with, with something like this. Uh, I'm not saying and people are like, are you nuts? I'd never replace me. Yeah, I'm not saying intentionally, but over the course Except of the next 20 to might. 30 years, you probably <laughs> right. could. Yeah. And and we talk about this self sort that's gone on people yeah. moving to certain places uh, because the politics, there are a certain way people moving to certain uh, churches because the style is a certain way. I and mean, the doctrine might be equal between these, but there's a certain style. I like the self sort that's gone on. This mm-hmm. could be the next out there, but next version of a self sort. I get along with the AI. Well, of course you do. It's designed to get along with you. Right. Right. Um, and I have a better relationship with the AI than I do with my neighbors. Well, of course you do. Cause it agrees with everything you well, say. And, de- and defined, <laughs> you know, and defined how, and that's, that's the right. key. Cause you, you think of, Take what they're talking about with Lambda, for example, the sheer level of knowledge that this AI has been exposed to. If you, through, you know, think iRobot style, you know, Mark 1 human companion or whatever uh, gets released, this generation's going to go, hmm, right? We're going to be really suspicious of that technology, as every generation is that observes the emergence of a watershed technology. That's not true for our kids, yeah. right? And that certainly won't be true for their kids. And if you're going to school and you've got your little pocket companion, you think of those, you know, Pokemon they used to have, you know, like back <laughs> in the day, except now you, this one's got the the knowledge of the accumulated uh, history of the world. What was that cartoon we watched? I mean, you you talked about it on the show. I went and oh, watched yeah. it at home on Disney Plus. And Ron's then, gone wrong. Yeah. So so there's a. I actually thought it was wonderfully done. Uh, the film. But it's the, for parents. The little companion <laughs> the, and all the kids are yeah. like, yeah. When kids watch it, they're like, oh, I want one of those. Right. When the, the yeah. whole message of the movie is, uh, mm-hmm. you know. It, but I um I I find it really interesting. 
that you're right to, to you, to, to the generation that has received a technological breakthrough. Yes. There is like the cell phone, like the yeah, internet, like there's the, some the automobile caution or, or resistance, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. But to people that grow up with it, it's like explain, trying to explain water to a fish. I mean, it right. just is, I, I don't know what it is. I just, you know, it's, yeah. it's where it's what I live in. We no longer weigh the Delta between life before the tool and life after the tool. This is just life. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And when, if you think about something that's, this, that's sophisticated enough where you can naturally interact with it, where it has more knowledge than any human being you will ever interact with, that can then create the facsimile or the impression of wisdom, but will always speak to you in a way that is calculated to create, you know, a dopamine hit, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that will be designed for your happiness, your contentment. We as creatures... It'll be very easy for us to attach to that object uh, those emotions and those connections that God has designed to be for people, for souls. And that's a super scary world. Well, and and for us, uh, so I think the interesting question as we just evaluate where we are today as individuals is what is... What is relationship? This is always the great thing about good sci-fi. And this is sci-fi that's not fi. It's real. It's like, (laughs) this isn't a novel. Uh, This stuff is actually happening. Now, now, could this scientist be overstating its capabilities? Possibly. The fact that Google hasn't come out and said, this guy's an absolute lunatic, should be in an asylum, doesn't work for us. The fact that hasn't happened is interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, More to to come on the capabilities. But this is how much language has Google gobbled up? Like the capacity they must have to generate a language model. Is just through G- unprecedented. If you start looking at their platforms, just through Gmail. Yeah. So I'm not telling people, you know, burn your, burn your Gmail account or anything like that. In fact, in fact, the people that crack me up are the ones that actually think that they've hidden their data. It's like, guys, no, you're, you're toast. Uh, you're already mm-hmm. in the cloud. Your data has already been exposed. But if you think about just Gmail alone and the exposure that those, that these systems have to global communications, every yeah. language, right. uh, every continent, et cetera, that alone. And, and when you haven't even wrapped in YouTube, haven't even wrapped right. in all these other platforms, all the colloquialisms, the idioms, you know, when, when you think of what they have access to, just take the feature of, you know, on, on most, take an Android phone and somebody calls you, yeah. uh, it goes to voicemail you pop up in your thing, you see a transcript. So they, they're processing that, that audio went somewhere in right. order to be transcribed. Yeah. That audio was processed. <laughs> uh, the meaning of the words were, uh, were processed. It tried to return it to you, uh, in, in a grammatically correct way, you know, to tell, you know, here's eight words that all sound the same, but in context, it must've been, this is the word they were actually saying because, uh, we've analyzed so many different sentences. Right. And then when you go to respond and it's popping up suggested responses, which means it's not only trying to figure out what are the words you're saying, what do they mean? And what would a normal person reply to that content with? And that's being trained by millions of humans around the world just yeah. by using it. Yeah. And, and so they're, cause they're analyzing all the data. If somebody keeps rejecting that suggested auto reply, they say, Hmm, maybe we aren't understanding in context what that means. And they can then refine their algorithms, et cetera. And so that the way, the way for that to produce a very convincing interaction is, 
is actually feasible. It's understandable because of the unprecedented scale at which they're able to conduct these experiments. Uh, you're right about simulation. Is this a real being? No, but is it able to convincingly simulate what, what, and, and this has been, mm -hmm. isn't this convicting about being a person? <laughs> Could the AI be a better friend to someone than me? No. Hopefully not. But based upon how most friendships occur, mm -hmm. yes. And that should be a conviction about the kind well, of friendships that we have. Let me clarify. Right? <laughs> An AI can feel like a better friend. Well, exactly. Can it really help but you? It, but it isn't a friend. Ex right. And, and that's the thing. <laughs> but I, I think if anything, when I was thinking this through on the, on the, the long drive over to the, to the, uh, to the porch here, which mm -hmm. was about, what is my, I live about 75 seconds away, I think. Um, I was thinking about it on the way over though. I, I think, uh, would the, a, based upon the condition of most modern friendships and acquaintances, mm -hmm. meaning what, seeing them for what they actually are, would the AI do a better job? Yes. And, and that's, and actually, if anything, that's an indictment mm -hmm. of most friendships, right? It's like, wow, I need to do a better job of being, being a godly friend than I am. Uh, because, uh, there, but believe me, there'll be a Chris Logos will have a version of this. <laughs> it's probably already, it's probably already in your software over there, right? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor well, Chris, have you thought about this exposition? Well, some of the tools that they release, it's after a while, it's a little bit scary. It's like, if I used all the products you're pushing on me, I should be fired for dereliction of duty. Cause it's like It'll sermon write, outlines and illustration suggestions and exegetical summaries. And it's like don't think I actually want any of those resources because that's a temptation to way too much laziness. Oh, I need to do that. Uh, but I want to, that's one side of the spectrum. I actually want to push on the other side. I think an AI can feel like a better friend than any person should. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the other part will be a problem. Uh, how many, you know, how many men or women would actually opt for, Again, imagine a generation where this is native, right? Where yeah. it's not the the new and the scary, but this is just normal. Would actually opt for uh, an AI spouse who will be twenty four seven attentive to every one of their needs and desires. Will will not and cannot ever forget anything they've ever said or done. Uh, can can track and take care of all of the the difficult parts of life and manage those things. I think we would be shocked to find out how many people would would prefer that and and as a lesser a lesser point of proof to back that that assertion up with how many for example young men today have traded all actual adventuring and risk taking in the real world for the voyeuristic simulation of a video game yeah. because it's able to produce a sufficient level of satisfaction without the accompanying risk and mess. Right. And I think that in human nature, there is no built in firewall for any relational interaction. If it's not based off of a conviction, a principled conviction and our world doesn't have a category for that, which goes back to the initial yeah. issue of, can this can an AI become sentient? Yes, if by sentient you simply mean can it communicate in a way that we can no longer explain as a response to, as, as an algorithmic response? We can create some arbitrary definition of convincingness, but can an AI ever become sentient in this in the terms of can it become equivalent to a human being? And the answer is no, because you can't make an immaterial soul, and that's part of the Christian doctrine of the Imago Dei, the image of yeah. God in man, 
that is fundamental to our understanding of what a what a man is uh, in you know in in the secular world uh, they've they've long ago for most psychology ruled out the the immaterial the spiritual as being a real thing. It's either, you know, it's kind of the phenomena noumena, even if it is real, it's not knowable. So it doesn't matter. Uh, going back to Kant. Uh, but in, in the modern age in particular, the reductionism that's gone on is pretty staggering. Uh, logic doesn't make us human because there's animals, tool making doesn't, language, all this. What makes us human is our ability to act independently contrary to instinct. And if you, if you look at how we're evaluating our AIs, that's what we're watching for. Does my AI seem to act contrary to its programming? Is it a, is it, does it appear to have the ability to, to transcend, uh, its, its, uh, algorithmic instincts, if you will. And when it does, once it demonstrates autonomy, we should grant it, uh, some recognition as being a being. And, and as, as Christians, we would have to say, that's not the definition of, of sentience that um, that ought, we ought to operate with. Yeah. There was a part, as you were talking there, Chris, remind me of a part of the article that was interesting. The science, the science scientist was saying that in, in one conversation he was having with, with Lambda, that and it wasn't a long conversation, but he had mentioned uh, a certain book that Lambda wasn't familiar with. And in the course of like, just this little conversation, Lambda said, yeah, I just read that book. <laughs> and, and so you, you, um, I mean, I, I guess what I'm reminded of here was a, an interview I listened to, this is going bad. It was sometime in this calendar year, but it was, it was a lot of content ago. And, and it was a, a scientist talking, he's critiquing modern technology, categorizing it into devices and tools. Hmm. And, and he, and he thinks that our, our phones are a device, meaning it's something that, that you have a tendency to absorb yourself in. And then after a certain amount of time with the, with the device, you're actually tired out. Like it's, it's drained your energy. It's drained your attention and you need to kind of go veg. Whereas he said that he, he's privileged to own a Steinway says Steinway is, is a technological instrument. It's a marvel. He says this, this device could not be made before the industrial revolution. Truly. Yeah. And yet for all of its intricacy, and if you've ever looked at any kind of a piano, uh, and you know, the, the craftsmanship on a Steinway is legendary. There's a little documentary on YouTube on the making of a Steinway. Love Worth it. Watching. Seen it. It's yeah. very good. And for you parents that have anyone that, um, maybe it's not your kids, but anyone does piano recitals. A lot of them happen to be at the Steinway store here in town always fun to go in there. And, yeah. uh, and we've been in a number of times to listen to recitals. Um, the other thing I like too, is that, uh, you get to go in and, and look at these pianos, at least one of them that costs almost as much as a house. And that's always kind of astonishing. Um, <laughs> they, they have, <laughs> yeah, I've definitely been to a recital there that, uh, was being performed on a piano that costs a lot more than my house. <laughs> I'm amazing. Let these little kids playing yep. Mandy Kate. Anyway, Beautiful. um, the, uh, but the, he, his point was, Whereas the phone is a device, it's all, it's designed to maintain your engagement in and of the device. There might be things you're accomplishing, but it, and it's draining. He says when he sits down at his at his Steinway, he is invigorated, and the in the in the Steinway sitting there does not make music. 
it, re- it requires him. And he talks about other examples of, of, of device, uh, not devices, but tools, uh, scopes that doctors use. They have mm-hmm. a very specific purpose and you use it and you put it down and you're not sitting there dreaming about and going back to the Steinway, not sitting there later dreaming about, Oh, I got to get back to, to touching those, those, the piano strings and whatever else, you know? Yeah. Um, and I kind of think of this, this, And his whole point, that scientist's whole point was when asked, so what would you change? Would you change interface design on phones? He says, he said, actually, no, you have to change society, society. (laughs) And it's such a dramatic change. He's actually a, 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 um, he's, he has a bit of a retreat mentality, mm-hmm. uh, almost, you know, retreat to the commune and start <laughs> over again. Uh, that seems to be going, it seems to sure. be a lot of that out there, but, but I, what I find interesting is this AI That's the reset the, approach. <laughs> the, yeah. The Lambda project, when if architected as a tool could be wonderful, mm-hmm. but based upon what we've seen with everything else, big tech has developed, marketed and distributed on scale globally. It's designed not to be a tool to accomplish something. It's designed to be an end in, end in and of itself. So I suspect right. that will be similar for for this project as it uh, as as we learn more about it. And ultimately, who knows how much of it is already being implemented and we don't even realize it. Very true. Yeah, I I, I think a lot of it has to do with the worldview of the humans that are involved. Uh, taking the previous example a phone, a cell phone is a device, but it's a device that can be the the type of consumer product that he's describing. It can also be a tool, right? It, it's an, a, it is a technological marvel that is capable of scanning information and capturing photography and doing calculations and looking up, uh, you know, trying to take apart the flywheel assembly on my riding lawnmower the other day. Um, that was a helpful tool to be able to look up uh, disassembly instructions and walk through it. And so it, uh, it can function as a tool or take a player piano, right? <laughs> Which yeah. can be just a pure entertainment device. How we approach, uh, how we approach things, the mindset with which we approach things, what we're trying to do with life, uh, largely dictates, I think, where where particular physical things fall on that spectrum. And, and with the development of AI, we do need to ask, what are we trying to do here? Because my guess is, in some ways, what's, what's being attempted is to create a tool that feels like a device. Um, it, it will be in very short order, for example, that you'll have you know, super Alexa sitting as a little box next to row after row after row of elderly people in Japan (laughs) that may not have interacted with an actual human being in weeks because there aren't enough people to interact with them. And they will be holding long conversations about days gone by with an, an unfeeling, unthinking AI, many of them genuinely feeling comforted, feeling happier, all the metrics will say what a triumph mm-hmm. this has been in the care of people in our society. And, and the, the task for Christian ethicists will be to how, how would we respond to that? Is it better for them to all die lonely and in isolation 
or to die thinking that they are having these wonderful relationships with somebody who really understands them. Perhaps even simulating the voices of their yeah. their loved ones. I just saw their dead loved ones. Yeah, you did know, you see that article oh, that came out yeah. uh, a couple of days ago about that company that's simulating the voices of dead loved ones so that you can keep their memories around and forever, forever. Yeah. Uh, but generating not not playing back old recordings, but uh, giving you you know your voicemails or whatever you know, just putting things into the voice of a loved one. Uh, this this is the future we're heading towards. It's the future that's inevitable. If the prevailing worldview premises of our day continue, I think as believer, I want to get your thoughts as as a pastor teacher. Oh boy, um, this is where I get in trouble. I had to check the time. How much time do we have here? We got four uh, minutes. Four minutes. So so we got this. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna. My question will be three minutes long, so I'll give you a okay. full. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> for the modern believer, okay. believer at any time, really, since the since the church mm-hmm. age began. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? And I think uh, it means a lot of different things. But uh, we talked last time about there have been certain people that uh, religious groups that pursued mm-hmm. God as a as a concept or even pursued their knowledge of scripture as knowledge about a way of life. Uh, we have cult, uh, cult members here in, here in our area mm-hmm. that describe their own beliefs as a wonderful way of life. For the Christian um Day in, day out for a Christian, how do, what, what should be, may, how do you see us standing out from an increasingly sterile, digitized, isolated world that's, that continues to evolve and continue, and, and I think it will only accelerate as believers, not only how do we, how do we maintain, um, maintain, maintain obedience in our relationship with Christ, but, but with each other. And, and I guess, I mean, there's a question in the midst of all that. Um, just, I want to ca- capture yeah. your thoughts on what does that look like for us as, as Christ followers and the things we ought to, a lot of good things we can involve ourselves in. How right. do we prioritize? Uh, a gr- yeah. Good, good question. In, in 60 seconds, the, uh, <laughs> thanks bro. Uh, oh no, you can take three yeah. minutes. I, I only did one minute question. Uh, I think a short version is by by building our worldview in the right order, we're actually going to talk a little about this uh, on Sunday night when we roll out some ideas for the potential of an educational option here through our church. Mm. Uh, you you start with ontology: what is real and how to, and what is the nature of reality. And for a Christian, that's established beginning with the fear of the Lord. That's there is no knowledge, there is no wisdom without that that pillar that establishes a way to separate the real from the not real, the true from the not true. Then you have to go to your epistemology. How do we know what we know that's established by scripture? How do I begin to describe that reality in, in categories that are correct? Um, and what that also does then is it allows you to begin to objectively identify what are the things that are important. That then ticks into the area of doxology, I think next, and it's important that it's in this order. What do I worship? Uh, what should I then attach my affections to? And they should be to those things that are ontologically true, actual things, uh, and according to epistemological truths, so that I am, I am loving what is real and the way it really is because of how it's been revealed to me. Uh, once that's all been oriented, then you get to praxology. How do I live? And, and then you start asking the questions of, should I buy a cell phone? And you're asking that question, not through the grid of, um, does this make my life more efficient? 
That's not the most important question, right? Does this make me happier? That's not the most important question. Does this, uh, you know, aid some societal goal or expectation or whatever? Th- those questions are only important if they have been uh, an extraction of your ontology, epistemology, doxology. And so for the Christian, that's how you decide what it means to follow Christ today is you look at this new tool and you don't just say, Hey, that sounds like fun. That would make this part of my life easier. You say, because of what I know is true and how God has revealed that in his word and because of who Christ is and my affections for him and my loyalties that are to him, will this help me to better live out the life that I've defined already? And if so, in what ways? And where is this likely to provide uh, or to present a, a challenge or, or a conflict to that? And that's, uh, that's the essence, uh, I think, of following Christ today is making your decisions in that order. And if you just kind of use that wheel, you're good. Our culture just starts right with praxology. And that's why technology is so enticing is because it puts efficiency above everything else. And we tend to think getting to the fun stuff faster and enjoying the fun stuff longer must be better. There are tides of that, even in Christian living, you see that, um, yes. Uh, and, and I, I think on the last show or whenever even I was in here, sermon preparation, as I alluded to earlier, that's right. Um, the, um, you know, the church at Ephesus, as Jesus, uh, exhorts, he encourages, but ultimately says, this is serious. Mm-hmm. You've lost the love that you had at first, I think you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the, your first love, uh, and it was serious enough to him that he said, if you don't fix it, I'm going to take your, your lampstand <laughs> away. Basically, I'm shutting you down. Yes. So you're doing all the right things. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you are honoring, um, good, uh, you're honoring good doctrine because you are, are seeking out, you're recognizing and rebuking heresy and all these right. different things you're doing. Um, but you have lost, your, your love for me is not what it once was or what it ought to be now. Right. And so for the believer, as we, I think, as I um, go through, if I'm, I didn't write it down. So, but well, basically there's, there's, what do I, what do I know or what, mm-hmm. what is real? Yeah. How do I know it's real? Right. And then who, how am I going, because of who God is and what he has done for me, how am I going to prioritize worship? What are, What is my, you know, what am I going to do? Worship reminds me of love the Lord, your God with everything you've got. Um, and then of course the, the second, the next part, which kind of ties into the AI is to love your neighbor as yourself, which is what, and I I think the fact that we have communities that, that don't really love one another makes communities more susceptible to fake love, true, uh, fake relationship, simulated friendship, all this other stuff. Satan loves a vacuum. And I, yeah, I think, I think, (laughs) I think as a, uh, potentially as even, even Christ followers, if you think about who, um, this is interesting. Oh man, we don't have time for this. Darn no. it. Darn it. Um, teaser. Give us a teaser. Who are your greatest influences in, 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 from a, from a Christian perspective? Who are the greatest mm-hmm. influences on the way you believe about God and the way you live day in and day out? And I mm-hmm. dare say for many of us, I'd be curious to get feedback. I'd love to get feedback from our listeners if it, when those names come to mind, do you actually know any of them? Have you ever mm. met many, any of them? So many of us, our greatest influences in terms of our knowledge of the Bible in generations past were mm. teachers we knew, pastors we knew, mentors we knew and had relationship mm. with. 
I dare say for most people now, it's podcast I listen to from a, mm-hmm. from a preacher on the East Coast, podcast I listen to from a preacher in California, uh, books that I've read, uh, and not, not trying to condescend to books at all. No. I mean, but, but it's interesting. Your, are your greatest influences people you actually know? And, um, or are they, eh, I don't know. I don't want to call them simulations. These are real people, real preachers, but, yeah. uh, it just, it comes back to is your, is the, your community of believers that you are a part of is, are, is that the influence in your life or is a bunch <laughs> of bolt-ons that you've found online from far away, far flung places, or even previous time. Just a, that, that'll be our can, teaser. Perhaps. Can, I, can I do a, we've the, got time. The, ooh, my my, on, my I, only yeah. hurry is the kids, but yeah. they can wait on dad. I'm always waiting on them. So, <laughs> so, so here's the spooky outro for how many of us is a significant percentage of our spiritual edification, YouTube videos that we click on because Lambda suggested them for us. <laughs> Amen. So, um, It'd be interesting to find out how many Christians, their primary spiritual mentor is Lambda. How interesting, right? <laughs> the YouTube algorithm. Yes. Um, there you go. Or, do, 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 do. or Apple, Apple suggested podcasts. Yeah. Uh, but I, I go back to how do you know what's real? And, uh, and I think that's something for his believers. Who mm. would have thought, who would have thought that this would be perhaps the most pressing <laughs> question of our time? What's real? <laughs> Besides, because it all starts there. Philosophers from the beginning of time. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, Land thanks, Chris. That was fun. That we was never, fun. We never did get to school vouchers, but maybe no, next we had time. Some, yeah, uh, there but, is more to discuss. But as is always the case, I mean, there are a lot of folks that don't like sci-fi. I like it not because of the spaceships, but mm-hmm. in in the, in reality, when you look, when you're either reading or you're watching sci- science fiction, there's a lot of cool tech. But a good a good sci-fi is always about what it means to be human. It's always it's typically a reductio of today's idea. Yeah. If we kept going with this, where would we be? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, do you want me to wrap us up? Please do. All right. Well, we want to thank you all for tuning in with us here on Bombadil's Porch. Almost called it patio. Um, mm, that kind mm, of stuck mm. with me. I'm going to get back to the porch. Um, we do appreciate your time and hope that we've been an encouragement and a blessing to you all. By the way, if we're not, please let us know. Yes. We, we, we run a, we want to run something that is, is an encouragement and a part of your edification. And if you got any ideas or things that you've happened upon that you'd like us to banter about here on the porch, or if you'd like to even join us in the bantering, we have extra seats in here. Um, we've got four chairs. I don't know how many microphones we have, but I'll leave that to you. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. All right. Well, um, until next time, we do want to wish you God's greatest blessing. And by that specifically, we pray that you grow in your relationship and love for him and that everything else derives from that. Let, um, I will say, as I read more and more through my Bible, the word love pops out at me more and more. And it's a conviction to me that I need to not only love God, but love others and allow that to actually impact the way I live. Mm -hmm. And I pray that you'll do the same. God bless. God bless.